Do you like to binge watch TV? Did you know you could binge listen to podcasts? Head over to electronicmediacollective.com where they have podcasts for days. You like podcasts about wrestling? They have that. Do you like podcasts about TV and film? They have that. Do you like podcasts about horror? EMC has that too. Do you like comedy? Do you like books? Guess what? They've got you covered. Head over to electronicmediacollective.com Pick your favorite podcast today. Hi, this is John Dugan, Grandpa from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and you're listening to Moose's Monster Mash. Keep mashing. The sixth day of Christmas, Moose brought to me. From wrestling The Undertaker to starring in horror films, welcome Chris Hahn. Welcome, Horror Hounds, to another installment of Moose's 13 Horrifying Days of Christmas. Once again, I'm host and gift giver Moose, and today's gift is a hell of a bundle. We have a wrestler, an actor, a stuntman, and just all-around cool guy. So let's not wait any longer. Let's get into this. Please welcome the guest for today, Chris Hahn. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, I... Uh, I've been looking for the right time to reach out and get you on. Like, I was like, I, I, I want to get him on, but like, when's the right time? And sure, th- th- this is this is a big year for you. I mean, you got a lot coming out in uh, yeah from like the start of this year up to like the end of this year. So I did uh, I did some stunt driving on uh, in the beginning of the year for on only murders in the building with Steve Martin. Martin Short and Selena Gomez, which was kind of, I, I would rather be in front of the camera, but anytime you get to be on set with big name stars like Steve Martin and Martin Short, it, it's awesome. And then I spent about 22 days on the new Adam Driver movie called White Noise, where I did some stunt work in that. And then I went down to Austin, Texas, and I worked for about a week and a half on a movie called The Wrath Within, which is a horror movie um, based in the Austin, San Antonio area, which was pretty cool. And I'm actually heading back down there in a couple weeks to do some stunt work. I'm the stunt coordinator on set, so we're going to do some fight scene stuff. So uh, I dabble a little bit. Well, I was a former pro wrestler for about 28 years, and then I had a softball-sized brain tumor due to the wrestling and I got out of the wrestling and I had the tumor removed. And then I started getting into stunt work because there's a buddy of mine by the name of Dave Hutchinson, who's a stuntman out in LA. And he told me, you're already a stuntman. You did fight scenes for 28 years in front of live crowds. I worked with the WWF now, which is the WWE. I worked with WCW. I worked with ECW. I went down to Mexico and did some work and I went into Canada and did some work. And um, 
So 28 years of, of just kicking the crap out of myself. And then uh, I thought I was done and I got into stunt work. So now I'm doing an extra eight years of just kicking the crap out of myself. <laughs> and but I enjoy every minute of it. I mean, it, you got to be a little demented to be a stuntman. You know, you catch on fire, you get thrown down a flight of stairs. Um, but I've got to work with some of the most amazing people in the world, you know. Well, and on that note, I mean, it, your wrestling career, I was looking at some of your matches. And I, I, I want to ask, were you brought in as like a professional jobber or is it just that just kind of happened? And I, I don't mean that with any disrespect. No, I, I understand where you're coming from. Um, when I first started off, I wrestled at a place called the Monster Factory. And there was three locations of the Monster Factory. There was one in Baltimore, Maryland. There was one in Florida. And then there was one in Marion, Ohio. And I attended the one in Marion, Ohio. And I trained under a gentleman by the name of Charlie Fulton. Charlie Fulton used to be... His real name was Gary Fulton, but he used to wrestle in the NWA as Charlie Fulton, where the NWA ended up becoming WCW. Yeah. And um, I went from training, and then Charlie would send us up to a gentleman by the name of Tony Gurria. And Tony Gurria was independent talent search coordinator for the WWF. And we would go up there, and like I said, my first ever wrestling match was against the Road Warriors. And I took the two, the, what they called the doomsday device, Ooh. which is the clothesline off the shoulders. And then my second match was against the undertaker where I took the tombstone pile driver. Now, the reason that they liked me was because I know how to sell. And what I mean by selling is, is by facial expressions, by body movements, they just beat the crap out of me. So the job of a jobber is to make the superstars look that much better. So when they would throw me in the air, I'd go about a foot higher than most guys. Or when they would punch me, I could sell it really well, facial expressions. So basically what I happened was I got a good rapport with the guys up in, in, the, in the New York, they used to call their office New York. And I worked for the WWF as a, what they call a glorified jobber. And I got to work against the big name guys like the Ric Flair's, the Hulk Hogan's, you know. Oh, yeah. And, um, and then eventually I got what they considered developmental talent. And I worked for them and I did what they call dark matches, which are matches that are during the TV commercials or matches before opening mat over the show actually starts on television. Like if you go to a, a Monday Night Raw show, Usually the shows start at seven, but they don't come on television until eight o'clock. So for that hour, they have to entertain the crowd. So they stick a bunch of local guys and they let them actually work in the ring. I got to be one of those guys. And I traveled with them on and off for about 12, 13 years. And then I went down to WCW and I worked a little bit. And then I went to ECW and that was just a little too extreme for me. <laughs> they like the barbed wire. They like the razor blades and all that stuff, and it was like, it's nice, and they were going to give me a push, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to bleed every night, I don't know, my face is scarred up enough, I don't need any more scars, you know? Some pushes just aren't worth it. Exactly, you're right, and if I would have known what I know now, I probably would have got out of the wrestling business 18 years ago and got into the stunt work, because it pays more, it's more glorified, and, um, 
I got to I get to go to some amazing places, you know. Oh yeah, and you know, in, in wrestling, you, like you said, you went up against some big names. I mean, there was, you know, Ted DiBiase, uh, the Road Warriors, Undertaker, Razor, Shawn Michaels. I mean, these sure. are Hall of Fame talent here, right? That you have memories. You know, with. the cool thing is. The cool thing is is, is, is if you watch the documentary on Razor Ramon on the WWE Network, he talks about his tryout match. And if you watch it close enough, I was his tryout match. So they show our match in the documentary. I got the blue tight, the blue trunks on with long blonde hair, and I get hip tossed and body slammed. I do the Razor's Edge. I do it all. But it's actually pretty cool that he recognized me and actually used our footage on television which was pretty cool oh yeah i mean you know because like there's a lot of guys who've done essentially had your same career who just get forgotten sure so you're right that's you know that's a hell of a notch i mean right exactly and then yeah it sets you up perfectly for the stunt world like your friends it really did the crazy thing about it is is I use it as a as a crutch to get my foot in the door, and um, when they when I show them my reel, I put a lot of my wrestling in there because the nice thing about being a professional wrestler when it comes to coming across to a stunt coordinator to be a good stunt guy, you got to be able to take direction, you got to know how to throw a punch, you got to know how to kick, you got to know how to sell, and you got to know how to fall. To be a professional wrestler. You got to know how to punch. You got to know how to kick. You got to know how to sell. You got to know how to fall. And you got to know how to take direction. So I've been doing that for 28 years. So when I come across a stunt guy or a stunt coordinator and he sees that I was a professional wrestler, he knows that since I was in it for 28 years, I know how to do all those things. Because if you don't know how to do all those things, you're not going to last, you know? Well, and you, you got to keep yourself safe. You got to keep the people, you know, the guys you're working with safe. Sure. You know, and sure. it, it's it's a unilateral move, really. Right. You know, you could go out and do a stunt, and if you're not prepared and safe, you're you're not just putting yourself at danger at that point. You're putting the guys around you at risk. Same thing right. in the ring. Exactly. You know, just exactly. on a grander scale. I mean... WrestleMania is huge, but you're looking at a blockbuster that's got more eyes on it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, and then some of the cool things is, is I just did a, I just did a movie in Atlanta, Georgia called Red Notice comes out November 12th on Netflix with Dwayne Johnson and Ryan Reynolds. Well, back in the day I got to meet Dwayne Johnson and like I said, we're not best of buddies, but I got to be good buddies with his cousin, who's his stunt double. And so it's a lot of networking. So whenever a, um, and his name's Tanawa Reed, and he's just an amazing individual. And if you see him, he looks exactly like The Rock. Oh, yeah. So he blends in really well. And whenever there's something that fits my breakdown, he does his darndest to get me on. And that's just because there's respect there because he knows when I come on set, I'm going to give him 110%. So he knows that he can trust me. And so basically what he would rather do is work with people that he's worked with in the past that knows they can get the job done. So I have a good relationship with probably one of the best stunt guys in the world. 
So working the stunt circuit's kind of like working the indie circuit. You get over get away. and you kind of, you know, you get your name out there as a good worker and you, you, you start getting those recommendations and people right. know you, they can trust you. Right. But it's kind of like everything else. There's a, there's a gentleman that his name is JJ Perry. JJ Perry's probably one of the top stunt coordinators in the world. He does all the fast and the furious. He does all the Marvel comic stuff. Um, he owns um, 87, 11 stunts, kind of like the WWE of the stunt world. And then you got guys like Garrett Warren or Stunts Unlimited or um, Brand Brandex Stunts. And they're all like independent wrestling promotions, but they use the same guys. Yeah. So what you try to do is you try to get in good with some of these guys. So they say, hey, I need a 600, I need a 260 pound ball headed guy that knows how to throw a great right hand or can kick or who can fall down a flight of stairs or can do a little bit of stunt driving or can catch on fire or can swim or do high falls, whatever, then they'll give me a call because they know I can do the job. And that means that their product is going to come out even better. Interesting. Now I want to go back like way back. What kind of kid sure. were you? Like, cause th th that always interests me. Like what kind of kid uh, decides one day I want to be a wrestler and then eventually stuntman actor like what what eventually led you down this uh, now okay I was, career I was an all Ohio football player and a state championship basketball player so I was athletic ah. but I was always the guy I was always the guy that liked to talk trash <laughs> and get under people's skin and my dad always used to tease me um you need to be a professional wrestler. You've already got the talk down. You just get, you, you just need to work on throwing punches and kicks. And every Saturday night at 6.05, I'd make sure I was home to watch um, World Championship Wrestling or Georgia Championship Wrestling. And then every Monday night, I used to watch Raw because I just was fascinated how big those guys were and how acrobatic they were and how it's kind of like a traveling circus of freaks. I mean, you'd have the undertaker who would come in at six, six foot 11 and just be enormous. And then you'd have a guy like stone cold, Steve Austin, who would come in at six foot two, 240 pounds. And then you'd have a guy like Ray Mysterio who is five foot seven, 165 pounds. And they all competed on the same level. Yeah. Now, yeah, one was big and powerful, but the other one was fast and could move. And the way that they just orchestrated everything to put on a, a two-hour show just really fascinated me. It really did. It was amazing. So, were you into horror movies as a kid, or did yes. that just loved them? I loved them. My, I'm a real big Rob Zombie guy. I think Rob Zombie stuff, when it comes to Devil's Rejects to the three from hell to a house of a thousand corpses. I know he's doing a new one. He's doing a remake of the monsters, which I'm kind of excited to see what that's going to turn out. But all I think, and my wife would probably smack me if I said this, but the Rob zombie Halloween's are three times better than the John Carpenter ones. Well, Just because there's more gore. I'm a guy that likes the gore. I mean, I want to see him stick the knife in the chest. I don't want to have to imagine it. You know what I'm saying? I, that's just me. Well, and he, he doesn't just do gore for gore's sake. He, you know, th there's always a reason for it. You know, right. it, it's not like, you know, the, the I think the colloquial term is gore porn. 
You know, it, it's right, not just exactly. gore for like, gore. There's a, there's a movie out there that I that I kind of like, but they went a little above and beyond called The Terrifier. Yeah. And they hang that girl upside down naked, and then they slice her right down the middle. The special effects were pretty cool. Don't get me wrong. But that was a little too much for me. You know, don't get me wrong. I like to see blood, but I don't want to see a, a, a naked girl hanging upside down being split right down the middle. I say it was, it's definitely one of the most controversial scenes of the movie. You know, it, it's, exactly. It, exactly. You, you either, and it's polarizing. You either really like it be, for what it is that, you know, something that's never really been done before, or right. you just don't like it because it's just over the top. So, and there's not a whole yeah. lot of middle ground for that scene. It's, and that's no, what I, I like about Art it. The Clown, I thought Art the Clown was great. I thought he that that clown is really creepy. So I was in a movie called Clown Town, which is on Amazon Prime right now. And I played Machete. There, there was three clowns and what we did. Oh, actually, there was four. And what we did was we lived in a junkyard and we terrorized the town. And there, each clown had a specialty. And I carried a machete. So I was called Machete Clown. There was a crowbar clown. There was a clown that carried a baseball bat. And then there was a female clown. And um, that was one of the toughest acting jobs that I did because I didn't have any dialogue. My story was basically told on facial expressions where the pro, where the pro wrestling came back to help me because none of the clowns spoke. Everything was based on body movements, slow and creepy and just methodical, evil looking stares and facial movements. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it's... That's one of the cool things about, like, like the new age clowns, I guess, as it is, you know, because they, they like to sure. do the silent clowns. And sure. like you said, you really have to sell it with the face and the body movements and right all that. So you're just like, wow, this is this is fun. You know, <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of creepy because what I would is I we did we shot it in winter, early, late fall, early winter. But my character, all I wore was bib overalls, no shirt underneath. So I was kind of like big and menacing. And I would pick up people and throw them over my shoulder and take them back into the junkyard. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was a little, it was a little kind of disturbing in the sense because it left a lot to the imagination of what they actually did to the people in the junkyard. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. Me, I'm more of a visual person. But I know there's a lot of people that would rather use their imagination to say, hey, I wonder what happened, rather than actually see what happened, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah another one you were in that got a lot of eyes on it was uh, the wrong, the recent wrong turn. What was that like? Yeah, that was pretty cool because uh, the stunt coordinator, T.J. White, who's a good friend of mine, um, my character, did I get a lot of screen time? No. But I was the character that actually, if you watch the movie, gets clubbed in the back of the head and takes a face plant. And then the one kid ends up just crushing my skull. But the whole movie revolves around my death. So even though I'm not seen, these kids are get put on trial because of the killing of me. And so I'm brought up a lot in the movie, but I'm only seen in that maybe seven to 10 minute scene. But the whole hunting of the kids through the woods and all this and that is because they murdered me. So a lot of times getting a part in a movie 
even though you're not in the movie a lot, your character, the, the whole fictional story is based on your character's death, which is kind of cool because you're a huge part of the movie, you know? Yeah, you like this cloud that just kind of hangs over the movie this whole time. Exactly. Exactly. But it was fun to shot. We shoot. We shot it in Southern Ohio around the Hocking Hills area. And um, it was pretty cool because they built a whole Appalachian town. And like I said, I was on I was on set there for about a week and a half. And it was actually um, it's one of my favorite movies to watch because I'm not going to ruin it. But there's a huge twist at the end. And um, it kind of throws you for a loop. Oh, yeah. You also did uh, Funhouse Massacre, so another like carnival y yes. uh, movie. Right. You right. And I get to work with a gentleman by the name of Mars Crane who actually peels my face off and then wears it as a mask as he goes around and butchers everybody up, which was kind of cool because, same thing with the wrong turn, is even though it's not in the movie, he's wearing my face. So I'm basically in the movie, but just on a different body. Right. <laughs> You know, it's like, you know, you, you get to be in the movie, but you can sit back and just watch it at this point. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But no, Funhouse Massacre, I think, is on, I think it's on Amazon and I think it's on Netflix. I say, you know? I, I know I saw it on Amazon. Mm. Um, you have uh, at least two coming out before this year's up, and that's... Right. That is The Red Notice which is with Dwayne Johnson, Ryan yep. Reynolds, which is kind of a prison break buddy movie. And then there is um, the escape from death block 13, where I play and see the crazy thing is, is in 2012, which is the first movie I did. I did a movie called ax giant, the wrath of Paul Bunyan, which was a sci-fi original. And I got to actually play the monster that lived in the woods. And it was based on, the Paul Bunyan fictional terror character with blue, the babe, uh, blue, the ox. Yeah. And, um, but it's got a twist on it where he is a deformed degenerate that has a growth issue that is 15 foot tall and lives in the woods. And basically what happens is they kill the blue ox and he goes on a rage of a killing spree, but it's actually kind of fun. The only bad thing was we shot that in the middle of the summer and I had to wear a latex glue town prosthetic suit, Ugh. which was hotter than snot. But the cool thing about it is the gentleman who directed that, his name is Garrett Jones, who's kind of like my mentor. He's a really good guy. He just did. He just directed and written an executive producer for Escape from Death Block 13. So in his movie, Escape from Beth Block 13, my name is Bunyan. So it's kind of an uh, homage to the Axe Giant movie where my name was Bunyan in that one, too. So pretty cool, really. Oh, yeah. Well, and there's another one. It's uh, Midnight Massacre. Midnight, it hasn't been out. It hasn't come out yet. I say in... I, I, it it I, stopped production and... It needed more funding, and that's the last I've heard of it. So I don't know what's going on with Midnight Massacre. I'd say I wanted to talk to you about it because, like, I was, I was looking at, you know, what they have for the cast, and right, it looks phenomenal. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I would definitely watch it. The guy Travis Bowman, who was the director and the executive producer on that, he brought in uh, um, 
Corey Feldman's wife at the time and brought in some of the professional wrestlers. And, you know, it was, it was fun. I, I spent about four or five days on the, on the set. And, uh, but then again, it just lost interest and it lost funding and I haven't heard anything about it. So I don't know what's going on with that. That sucks. Cause like, you know, just reading the premise, it looks like it would be a, you know, really fun uh, sure. outing. And like you said, I mean, it's got like Greg Valentine and Jim Dugan right. and the Honky Tonk Man. I mean, these right. are all guys that, you know, everyone grew up with and seeing them in a horror movie. Right, exactly. You know, that, that, that's just icing on the cake. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then there's a movie, there's a horror movie that I did with Danielle Harris in, down in Florida called Inoperable. Um, I play the crazy deranged orderly in the mental hospital that, again, really had no speaking lines. What I would do is drag them down the hallways into the surgical room where they tie them up and perform some horrific surgery on them and stuff like that. But the story was basically there was a hurricane coming through and it was a time warp. So... The hospital was at in present time was a normal hospital, but 20 years ago, it was an insane asylum. So being in that time warp, Daniel Harris would go from the regular hospital back into the sane asylum, back into the regular hospital. So in the regular hospital, I was a nice orderly with a smile on my face, wheeling an old woman down the hallway, and then she would pass out, go into the insane asylum and here I am throwing pillowcases over people's heads and dragging them down the hallway to be butchered <laughs> up. So, and it, it was a fun because uh, um, it was Danielle Harris, Katie Keene, Jeff Denton, a lot of the guy people that were in Clown Town, and some of them were in uh, Axe Giant, The Wrath of Paul Bunyan. So I got to work with them before. And it's always nice to work with other actors that you've worked with before because you have a good camaraderie with them, you know? Oh, yeah. What was your experience on Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile like? You know, that was working with Zac Efron, who's probably one of the nicest guys I've ever met on set. And he, I told him when we were standing there, because I played a bailiff, and basically it's when he gets found guilty he starts freaking out. I got to kind of wrestle him around and handcuff him and all this and that. So I went up, introduced myself, and I told him that we had a mutual friend. And he goes, well, who's that? And I said, Dwayne Johnson, because he just got done shooting on Baywatch. Yeah. And so they were really good friends from Baywatch. And then me and him hit it off right there. And then and he said, just make everything solid. See, because a lot of these guys, like Zac Efron, once do their own stunt work. I mean, they, they feel that I was in the movie Judas and the Black Messiah, where I play a racist prison guard and Daniel Kaluuya um, makes a racial comment or makes a comment and then the warden sends me and another guard in there to beat him up. Well, he wants to be the guy that gets beat up because he wants to sell it because it's his character so he tells the stunt double to take a time off. He's going to take this. And what a nice guy. And we beat the snot out of him, you know. <laughs> but uh, we had rubber, we, we had foam clubs. 
So it really didn't hurt him, but he sold it so good and made it look so good. Same thing with um, Miles Ahead, the Miles Davis story. I got to uh, work with Ewan McGregor. And basically the scene I have in there is I'm dating his ex-wife. He owes her alimony. He's leaned over talking to her in the car. I come up from behind him. I sucker punch him when he turns around and then I take all the money out of his pocket, throw it, throw it, give it to her. And then I take off in the car. But like I told you and McGregor, I said, I'm going to throw a punch. And when I throw a punch, I throw a punch based on where the camera is. If you walk into it, I could break your jaw. So make sure that you come only so close. And we rehearsed it a couple of times and he did it great because he stepped in one step probably three inches from his chin, but they shot it over my right shoulder, which you couldn't see the space. And then he just hit the deck and it sell it sold so good. Don Cheadle directed it. And afterwards I got to hang out a little bit with Don Cheadle and Ewan McGregor because they really liked what I did. And that was kind of surreal because these two guys are A-list actors. You yeah. Know? I mean, you got Obi-Wan Kenobi and War Machine. It's- exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I got to work on criminal activities where I played John Travolta's bodyguard. So for a week, I got to hang out on set. Everywhere John Travolta went, I stood behind him. Now, did I have any dialogue? No. Basically, my scene, my character was just the presence. But in downtime, I got to chat with him like crazy. And I got to learn a lot. And like he told me, he said, you know, Chris, he goes, you've been a professional wrestler for 28 years. You've done all your free work. He goes, don't do any extra work. Don't do any of that stuff. Make sure you get paid. He goes, you put a lot of time into your pro wrestling world. He goes, now it's your time to feed off of that pro wrestling work, which was great. In, I mean, it was great advice from him. And what a nice guy, you know? Well, it all boils down to know your worth. Yeah, you know, exactly. At this point, you paid your dues. You had a medical issue and you, you got that taken care of. And now right. you're you know, basically living out your second chance, make the most of it. Sure. You're right. Exactly. And you know what? The the brain tumor was probably the most, one of the best things that ever happened to me because I used to be a cocky SOB. And when I had the brain tumor and knew that once surgery was over, I may be a vegetable. I may be blind. I may, it kind of humbles you. You and might it not wake up. It's life in perspective. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it it's definitely one of those moments where you're like, "All right, it's time to reevaluate everything and right, you know, what's really important." Right. Exactly. And and like I said, now my new stunt is I got married 3 weeks ago <laughs> and I got to watch my P's and Q's because <laughs> I might catch a right hook for my wife. And I don't know how well I'm going to sell that. <laughs> the greatest stunt of all. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The greatest stunt of all. But no, I, I've been, you know what, when it, when it comes, when it boils right down to everything, I've been, I'm blessed. I really am because I've got to live a life that not everybody gets to live. You know, I mean, I get to go on set. I get to hang out with some big name people. Um, I make a decent living. Um, and it's just in the, in my small town, I'm kind of like considered a cult 
celebrity, which is kind of cool. And um, it's, it, it's also kind of humbling because it, sometimes it gets really annoying. But uh, I sit there and say, hey, if it's not for these people supporting me, I wouldn't get to be where I'm at, you know? So I just grin and bear it. With, with everyone you've worked with, what, what's, what would you say is your like, greatest memory or your funniest story? Greatest memory is probably um, getting to wrestle The Undertaker Oof. out of everything that I've ever done because seeing that, jet, that guy come out of the locker room and walking down the aisle with Paul Bearer in his urn and like four guys in black robes, which like his henchmen, because it was the Undertaker at first, not the Undertaker when he was the what they called the American badass. This is the one that wore the big parlor coat and the yeah. big hat. He rolled his eyes back, and when he powered or he powered, slammed you into the ground, he crossed your arms and he put you in a body bag and they carry you back. That was probably the the biggest thrill of my whole entertainment career. Um. The funniest story was probably the the last the last movie I just did was um, Adam Driver movie. I got to be with all my stunt buddies, and we sat in the back and we just cut it up the whole time, and it was just it was just nice to be on a set after the whole COVID stuff, not knowing if you're ever going to work again. Um, and just to see your buddies, you know, everybody's doing well. And that's probably the fun, the funnest time I ever had because we laughed and told stories the whole time. I mean, it was a good time. No, I, I can't even imagine, you know, just that, you know, all you guys that have been in the business for so long, you know, all, all the stories like, just to be a fly on the wall for that conversation would be amazing. Sure. Sure. We were all in wrong turn together. Um, see, there's a, there's a grunt, there's a stunt group out of Cleveland, Ohio, and it's called stunt predators. And it's run by a gentleman by the name of Rick Fike. And Rick kind of like, uh, is kind of like our mentor in the stunt business. So whenever movies come into town, usually, um, if you're going to use the tax incentive, you have to hire local. If you don't hire local, you got to hire, I think it's like 60% of your cast and crew has to be local in order to receive the tax incentive. So what a lot of the stunt coordinators will do is they'll come to Rick and they'll say, hey, let me see the guys that you have. And then so he looks at the guys and there's guys in there that have got had a lot of work. And then there's guys in there that are just starting out. And um, a lot of the times, the same guys, me and a guy by the name of Johnny Yurko, a guy by the name of Jason Selinski, a guy by the name of Norm Malott. We all get picked up because we've worked a lot. So we get to hang out all the time. We make decent money. Nobody gets hurt. Um, and it's just like, and then you get to see the finished product. And that's, I guess you'd say that's the biggest thrill of them all because when you're on movies, they never shoot the movies in sequence. Everything's broken up. Um, and the cool thing is to see it put together at the end and it kind of just blows you away. 
you know? Oh, yes. I remember the first time I learned that, you know, movies weren't shot in sequence. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The latest movie we shot was, uh, it's called Escape from Death Block 13. And they brought in a gentleman by the name of Robert Kovacs, who looks exactly like Charles Bronson. I yeah. mean, it's not, those photos are not photoshopped. That's what he looks like. He looks exactly like Charles Bronson. So they flew him in and it's directed by Gary Jones. And right now it's doing its theatrical screenings tour. So the crazy thing was I got to wear like five different hats in that because Gary Jones, who was the director of Axe Giant, is also the director and the associate producer of this. So he kind of said, hey, I'm going to kind of take you out of your element a little bit because I need you to help me find locations. I need you to help me cast. I got to be the fight choreographed stunt coordinator. I got to play the second lead in the movie. And then I knew the catering people, so I got to hire the catering people in. So what I did was, rather than hire a bunch of stunt guys, because it was an independent project, oh, and I also was associate producer. So rather than, because it was an independent project, and um, most of my buddies are SAG stunt guys, they won't work independent projects. But since it's one of my projects, because I'm associate producer, I can override the SAG thing and work on it. So what I did was I brought in a bunch of my wrestling buddies to be the stunt guys. Mm -hmm. And there's a local promotion here in Mansfield called ASWA guy like Jimmy Lee, who is, who calls himself the nightmare, Doug Christo, um, Mike Moffitt, a bunch of these guys that have wrestled forever. I brought them in as inmates because they all have a different look. They all know how to fight. And they all can sell it really well. So when they do the prison yard fight, it's just a battle royal of people getting thrown around, kicked, punched, hair pulling, thumb in the eye, low blow crowd shots, all kinds of stuff. And um, so I got to do all this casting. And then I also had to learn dialogue. And I'm 50 years old now, so I'm kind of trying to get more into the acting stuff and getting out of the stunts, but I still will do the stunts because it gets my foot in the door. Um, so I got a lot of dialogue in this one and I got, and then when I saw the, we shot it at the Shawshank prison here in Manchester. Did you ever see Shawshank Redemption? Yeah. Oh, love that movie. Okay. So the prison that that was shot in is in my hometown. And so Gary did it. It did a trade with the guys that run the prison because they also have a they do a haunted prison there once a year. Gary did all the special effects artwork for their haunted prison, and then he got ten days in the prison to shoot. So we shot a lot of stuff, and we worked anywhere from from twelve to fourteen hour days, and we busted some ass and some good fight scenes. And I brought in a gentleman by the name of Mickey Skadova who used to be a world champion kickboxer and he plays the prison, the, the leader of the prison guards and they call him the night stalker. He walks around at night. He's kind of creepy and all this and that. And then um, I brought in a bunch of my buddies to play the prison guards and there's a twist and turn in it. I'm not going to give it away, but it, it ends up that my character starts off as the big mouth bully of the court of the court of the uh, prison yard that is the king of death block 13. Nobody crosses me. 
I basically do all the warden's dirty work. And then some things happen down the road and some things shift around and it's kind of a, um, and then they bring Bronzy in who plays Miklos. He's from Hungary and he's here to retrieve a death benefit because his brother was killed at a factory and he causes a disturbance, gets thrown into the prison. Bunyan sees him and now Bunyan's got fresh meat and he starts hunting down Bronzy and that's where the whole thing changes. And it's, it's, it's an hour and 25 minute movie, but the last 45 minutes is all action. Oh, nice. And it's pretty amazing. But I think it's going to get picked up by Netflix. I also think it's going to get picked up by Amazon. I know our distribution people are busting their ass. Our, our local domestic is uncorked and our overseas is Octane. And I know with the Charles Bronson look and Bronzy, Robert Kovacs is from Hungary and he's really big over there in the European countries. So they did a real big pre-sale overseas and now we're getting a pretty big pre-sale since the trailer dropped today. Um, and we're getting a lot of, a lot of feedback on everything. So everything's coming along really, really well. So the feedback's all pretty positive. A lot of well, positive. Yeah. Everybody seems to like it. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Are, are you finding it hard to make that switch from stuntman to yes. like dialogue actor <laughs> or? <laughs> yes. Well, you know, my character is, I'm a, I'm a character actor. I'm six foot two, six foot three ish. I'm about 260 pounds, ball head. I have a face for radio, not for <laughs> television, too. for radio. But so my character is prison guard, prison inmate, thug, bouncer, bodyguard, stuff like that. Um, they used to call me Brad Pitt stunt double armpit. But uh, <laughs> no, that's a joke. I use that joke all the time. But uh, um, I'm finding it because I am not the smartest or the sharpest knife in the drawer. So it takes me a little long to learn the dialogue. But by the time, most directors are pretty cool in the sense that it doesn't have to be word for word as long as the same meaning comes out. But if I say it once the first time, I have to say it that way the rest of the time. So um, my dialogue is more or less smart assy kind of stuff, nursery rhyme-ish kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I, I play a police officer and not. Most of, nine times out of ten, if I play a police officer, I've got that white supremacist look, so I play a racist police officer. But, you know, I tell people, you got to get over it because it's acting. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm the nicest guy in the world, and I'll do anything for anybody. But when you see me on TV and I'm kicking a guy in the mouth, it's acting. I don't mean anything by it. It's all, it's all a character that I play. You know? Oh, yeah. Some people understand that. Some people don't. Yeah, it's such a weird disconnect that, like, right. we, we, we've gotten to the point where we can't disassociate the characters from the actors. Right. You know, I got a, my agent, my I got a manager, and I got a manager by the name of Peter Yankee in New Mexico who submits me for everything. I just got submitted for the new MacGruber. And he submitted me for Young Rock 
to play George the Animal Steel. And then they also liked me for Stone Cold Steve Austin in The Young Rock, which is the NBC TV show about Dwayne Johnson. Oh, I could totally um, see you playing uh, George Steele. You know, it was great because I'll have to send you my audition because it was it was pretty wild. Um, and my, my agent goes to me, he goes, uh, I hate to say this because um, it, it doesn't sound right, but he goes, you play a heck of a mentally retarded guy. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. <laughs> but uh, um, and then I got a manager out of uh, he lives in Austin, Texas. His name is Carlos Samulio, and he uh, he bends over backwards for me. He's a he's a really good guy, and we became really good friends. But he leads me in the right direction a lot. A lot of times, I get a little too big for my britches, and he'll bring me back down to earth. So that's what I need. I need a support team and a, a crew of people that I surround myself. With my, I got my mom. My mom's a huge supporter. My wife is my number one fan. She's the best. And her name's Beth DeBellis. Well, Beth Hawn now. And Carlos, who's my manager. And then I got a gentleman by the name of Peter Yankee. And then I've got a local agent here in town by the name of Joanna. And she works with PCG Talent. And she gets me all my Ohio auditions, which I stay pretty busy in Ohio. And then I just signed with a new agency in Michigan called the I Group, and um, they go into Chicago. And my my goal is I'd like to get on Chicago PD. Um, I love that. I like I like the NYPD um, SUV, all that stuff like that. I, I love all that stuff. Oh yeah. And you know I can play the drug dealer thug or whatever, but to get kicked around by Stabler or somebody like that would be pretty cool. Oh yeah. So now, now that you're switching into like more of an acting role, if you could pick like a horror franchise or like just any like major franchise, what would you know? What would your dream project be to join? Have you ever seen the movie? Yeah, I know you have. Machete. Yeah. Not Machete. Hatchet. I'm sorry. Hatchet. Oh, oh, the god, yeah. Ain't hotter place. Hatchet. Yeah. Love those. I love those. I love the Halloweens. I love the um, Friday the 13th. I'm a creature feature guy. I like the monsters, the creatures that come out of the, the dark. Um, you know, there's there's some of the uh, the uh, horror movies that are, I'm not real big into the witches and I'm not real big into the ghosts and stuff. Though I do like the conjurings and those kind of movies are pretty good. Uh, a friend of mine, the crazy thing was, a friend of mine in high school that used to sit behind me in government class and his dad used to be my government teacher sent me a message the other day saying, I'm, I'm, I'm out here in Hollywood now and I see what you're doing and it's amazing and I'm proud of you. And his name is David Leslie Johnson. And so I wrote him back and I said, hey, that's great. I said, what are you doing out in L.A.? He goes, well, I'm a screenwriter. <laughs> and I'm like, Really? I said, what have you written? He's written all the conjurings. Oh, jeez. <laughs> he, 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 he wrote The Nun, which is like a, 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 a branch off of The Conjurings. Yep. And he goes, if I can ever do anything for you, let me know. Um, I'm, my dad always keeps me informed on what's, what's going on in Ohio. And I just wanted to tell you I was proud of you because I'm in Ohio doing this. You know, I'm not in L.A. and I'm not in 
New Mexico and I'm not in Atlanta. I'm doing this from Ohio. And it's pretty tough from Ohio because I got to do a lot of traveling. Oh, yeah. So you're, you're, you're staying true to your roots. And, you right. Know, the, the easier right. route would be go out to L.A. or, you know, go to one of the more popular, like, acting cities. But Sure. You know, you know the crazy thing was a buddy of mine told me once, he goes, uh, you've got a specific look. If you move to L.A., um, you'd probably get a lot of work. He goes, now, if you were five foot seven, blonde haired and look like a look like a uh, surfer, those guys are dime a dozen. You would struggle. But he goes, you don't look you don't you you don't have you have a certain look. There's not a lot of guys. You got a guy like Dave Batista, who is very similar to me. He's a little bigger than me. Um, There's a guy by the name of Marty Ford, who who was in. uh did you ever see um, Mad Max, the yep. newer Mad Max? Yeah. The big, the big, uh, the big guy that was driving the flamethrower machine through the desert. Yeah. That's that's Marty Ford. There's not a lot of guys that look like me. You know that no, are so you, six you, foot two, six foot three that are like kind of stand out in the crowd. Fit. Exactly. That's what my agent was telling me. He goes, when you do an audition, you want to do your auditions live. You don't want to do them on video because when you walk into a room, your presence fills the room up because you're larger than life. He goes, so anytime you get a chance to do an audition, do it in person because you're going to make that much more of an impression on the casting agent, which made a lot of sense, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, that's like in the summer I saw... uh... C.J. Graham, Jason from mm-hmm. Friday the 13th, Part 6, at right. a convention. And, you know, he was coming from the hotel over to the convention center. You know, head and shoulders above everybody standing outside, right? Sure. And, I mean, sure. you know, he's a jacked dude. And, right. you know, he just has this walk about him. And you're like, that's why he played Jason. He has that presence. Right. He has that, you know, he, he commands that just presence of... You know, I'm just this big, ripped dude that you're either sure. going to move or I'm going to move you out of my way, guy. <laughs> well, that's the same thing with that one, the one guy that plays the uh, Michael Myers in the Rob Zombies, Tyler Maine. Yes. He's like six foot seven, and he's just a big guy. Now, Kane Hodder is maybe the same size as me, a lot smaller than me and, and weight-wise, but he's about six three, six four. you know? But no, most most of your monster guys are big guys. Yeah, you know, Yo, and it, it's interesting, you know, meeting everyone like in person because, like, you know, I'm six three, and uh-huh. Tyler's a good head and shoulders above me, which yeah, I don't he's a big see. Dude. Like, I don't see very often. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when you're six three, you don't meet people that are taller than you very often. Sure. You know, and. So it's like, wow, this is odd. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> you know. And, exactly. You know, and then Kane, yeah, he's just this, like, just brick wall, and right. it's like, man, this this explains a lot. Yeah, you know, I mean, you see it right. on you, you see it on screen, and they're you know, you, you, there's this you see the presence, but then when you get to see it in real life, you're like, oh shit, you're you're jacked, <laughs> right. Oh, I know. It's, it's amazing because, I mean, I usually go on to sets 
And like my first thing I ever did was I was an extra on Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Well, the assistant director came over to me and he says, do not get too close to Chris Evans because you'll make him look small. And we don't want our superheroes to look small, which made a lot of sense. Oh, yeah. Which I, I took on as a compliment, you know? Oh, yeah. So before we wrap this up, where can uh, my listeners keep up to date with all your uh, upcoming projects and kind of follow you on social medias and stuff? Sure. JP Hahn is my Facebook page. And feel free to friend request me. I have no problem. Then I have Chris G. Hahn, actor with stun ability, is my fan page on Facebook. And then on Instagram, it's CH Stuntman is my Instagram page. Um, and then I'd like to thank, I'd like to give a shout out to my agency in New Mexico, which is uh, Fargun Mayor, which is owned by Peter Yankee, who does an amazing job for me. My manager, his name is Carlos Samulio, who uh, is a big influence in my career. Um, PCG talent, Joanne, who's my Ohio agency. And then there's a gentleman by the name of Rob, who is the, my agent in New, uh, up in Michigan with the I group. So they all like kind of take care of me and they get me plenty of auditions and stuff like that. I'd like to thank my wife, Beth Ann Hahn for being, so supportive because she supports me in everything I do. And then I also like to thank my mother because my mother is, she supports me just like my wife, but uh, her name's Marianne Carey. So, and I got, like I said, Gary Jones, who's a buddy of mine, Phil Garrett. These guys are kind of like my mentors. Whenever I'm on set and I have a question about some, I'll either give Gary Jones or Phil Garrett a call and, uh, you know, say, Hey, this is what's going on. How should I go about this? And that nine times out of 10, they give me the right answer, you know? Well, and, you know, that, that's really what it's all about. You know, if to have a, a good career, good life, you got to have the right people in your corner. Sure. And if you don't have that support system, you're setting yourself up for failure. Amen. Amen. And networking. Networking is huge. If I, if I was going to tell somebody, they say, what's the number one thing that you need to do um, – when you're on set is um, you know you need to know your lines and stuff but network meet as many people as you can because who knows five years down the road they might say hey remember that big ugly guy that big ball-headed ugly guy on on um ted, the ted bundy movie he would be perfect for this and then they look you up on imdb and they see your account and you know then they give you a call and next thing you know you got another project and it's just because you went out of your way to shake somebody's hand Tell them, thank you for having me on set and introducing yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, got to be gracious. Oh, yeah. The one thing that really caught me more than anything was when I was down on Red Notice, Dwayne Johnson goes around and shakes everybody's hand. If it's the garbage hauler, if it's the catering people, whoever. And he thanks them because he goes, if it wasn't for you guys doing your job, I wouldn't be able to do mine. You know? Yeah. Which is, is pretty damn cool. Now, I say it, you know, it it takes a whole village to put on a production, so... Sure it does. You know, and listeners, 
I'll make sure the links to all of his social media accounts are in the episode description. You can find me and other great podcasters over at electronicmediacollective.com or on Twitter at Moose Media Inc. Chris, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you very much, Paul. I appreciate you having me on. Anytime you want to have me on, feel free to give me a holler. Yo, and listeners, make sure you look out for Escape from Death Block 13 and Red Notice. The Wrath Within will probably be out in the beginning of next year. And be sure to tune in tomorrow for another episode of Moose's 13 Horrifying Days of Christmas. And until then, mash on. Thank you very much. This has been Moose's Monster Badge. Come back for chills and thrills if you dare. Ha 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 ha!